0: Hey, how's it going, everybody? Uh, today I am continuing on with my uh, series on the 316s of the New Testament. Now, before I get into any of it, uh, I just want to let you guys know that if you are listening from the Anchor app or if you're listening from anchor.fm slash Quarantined Christian, uh, there is a button there that you should be able to click on record a quick audio message and it goes directly to me. So if you ever have any questions or uh, comments about the content that I'm recording and posting on my podcast, or if you have prayer requests, I would love to hear that uh, that information from you. I'd love to hear the content of, of your comments or your questions uh, to respond to them. I'd also love to pray with you if you have a prayer request. Uh so that having been said, I'll make that plug again later. Uh but uh I want to turn my attention to today's topic. Um This episode is launching on May the 7th. Uh and May 7th is actually kind of a kind of a a big important day for me. I I, I kind of remember certain dates for certain things and it sounds really ridiculous, but the reason why I remember May 7th is because May 7th, uh, 1999, I was a junior in high school, and I was in a huge motorcycle accident. Uh, I had had a half day from school. I was meeting up with some friends later on after uh, in, in the afternoon. After, uh, we were all going to meet up at my parents' house and go swimming and hang out and do whatever. Uh, but my brother still had a full day of school ahead of him, so I went to his campus to go visit him real, real briefly. It was a small school, uh, and people knew me there, so I was able to get on campus just fine. My brother was actually coaching some of the younger kids uh, in uh, a like an elementary grade track meet, and I went to go visit him and see how he was doing. My brother's actually a really fantastic coach. Um, even at a young age, he was a good coach. Uh, So when it comes to what he does now as a personal trainer, a coach, a referee, uh, he is really good at what he does. Um, As I was leaving, I was on my motorcycle, uh, and as I was pulling away from my parking space, I didn't really pull out properly, and uh, I was still kind of set at an angle, and I went down and I slid. Now, that wasn't even the worst part. The worst part was I wasn't wearing the proper protection uh, for riding a motorcycle. I had my helmet on, so I was very thankful that I I was following that law. But there are no laws regarding the kind of protective gear that you need to wear while riding a motorcycle. Uh, Different types of gear are, you know, it's kind of required based on what you're doing, but... There's no law saying you have to wear, you know, protected jackets or protected pants or boots or anything like that. I was wearing a t-shirt, shorts, and sneakers. And when I went down, I slid across the gravel and landed myself in the hospital with second-degree road burns. Now, the, the injuries from that are, for the most part, pretty healed up. I have like a little bit of scar tissue uh, on my right elbow. The funny part about this was it happened exactly one week to the day before my junior prom. Still went to prom. I had, you know, I was a teenager with priorities. But the consequence of me not wearing the proper protection was severe. And it put me in the hospital. And that kind of ties into what we're doing today with uh our 316 Today's three sixteen is Romans three sixteen as I said before I'm going in canonical order so we, the last episode was acts chap, chapter three verse sixteen. Today we're at romans three sixteen uh, and I'm, I'm going to be covering the topic that a lot of pastors and and churches have a tendency of avoiding at the risk of becoming socially unpopular uh, today we're talking about the dreaded s word sin s i n. And sin is actually a very real thing, I have mentioned this before. Uh, it exists within each and every human being on the planet that ever it was, ever is, and ever will be, until such time as Christ returns. Now today as I discuss the passage uh, for, that, for our focus today, uh, I'm going to be dis- discussing what sin is, what it isn't, and the contextual background for this passage. So, here's what our verse says. Destruction and misery always follow them. That's it. Now, of course, I hate taking a verse out of context. And if you read it just by itself, it can easily be misconstrued. Uh, That pronoun of them could be used to describe something else entirely. Really, what it's talking about is something that happens earlier in the verse, or in this passage. So, uh, romans three sixteen is like many passages of these verses uh, uh, the they are part of a larger section that actually be and this one actually begins in verse nine so three verse nine the content of this section of paul's letter details out what sin is in whom it's found and the effects that it brings out uh he uh he expands further, Paul is writing to the Christian church that was established in the city of Rome, which was the core of the Roman Empire. So here's some important background. The Roman church has an incredibly diverse congregation, half of which are Romans from all over the empire, though mostly from the city itself, and its other half is Jewish. Now the church was formed before the emperor kicked all of the Jews out of Rome and sent them packing for parts unknown. Uh, Many of those Jews returned to Jerusalem, where they reconnected with their cultural roots, and when Jews were allowed to return to Rome several years later, uh, many of them returned to the church that they were a part of, and they came back with this heightened sense of Jewish belief, and they began telling the Roman Christians that not only ha- did they have to abide by Christ's teachings, but they also had to abide by the Jewish law or the Torah. And Paul's purpose in writing this letter was to explain that they didn't have to abide by the Jewish law because Christ fulfilled the law, and that even if the Jews and Romans followed the law to the letter while professing faith in Christ, they'd still find themselves at points in time living in sin. So what was the point? The point that Paul wanted to get across to his readers uh, was that the law had a purpose for a time and that Christ gave his followers a purpose for all time. That's the big split there. He says it doesn't matter if one is a Gentile, non-Jewish person, uh, who doesn't follow the Torah or a Jew who does. Everyone is capable and filled with sin. And that's where a passage comes into play. Paul pointed out exactly how far sin is spread and how long the effect lasts. He says that nobody is righteous. Nobody. I spent three years of my life in seminary. And I know a couple of pastors in my time who are not righteous. So just because a person becomes a minister does not make them righteous. Paul even says that, in general, people have stopped seeking after God and have turned away from him, which makes them useless. Everyone wants to have that mountaintop experience where they ask the guru or wise man uh, what the meaning or the purpose of life is. I found myself in a very similar situation i've I've mentioned my time in Japan and thoughts of of you know turning to Buddhism but The purpose or meaning of life is is very plain. It's very simple. And the Bible actually says it. The meaning or the purpose of life is to come back into a right relationship with God through Christ, the Son, who is God incarnate, which will then give us purpose and usefulness. It's a pretty big deal. But Paul doesn't stop there. He describes the effect that sin has on people. Aside from the uselessness, he describes them as having foul talk. Commenting, it's like the stench from an open grave. He says that cursing and bitterness come from their mouths, like venom from a poisonous snake. They're eager to kill and they don't know where to find peace. The last description about the murdering and the lack of peace actually bookends uh, today's verse, uh, where it says destruction and misery always follow them. Sin is real. Sin is palpable. Its effects are tangible. Most people, especially the ones who adamantly think that they are good people, don't want to hear about sin. When when a pastor talks about sin in a sermon, it's a lesson in accountability. People don't like hearing that they have crossed a line with God. All they want to hear is that Jesus is about love and peace and harmony. That he forgives their sins. Okay, good. But if all you want is that love, peace, and harmony, go hit up Woodstock. Because that's some new age hippie nonsense. Jesus wasn't above calling people out on their sin. He was blunt about it. He never danced around the subject. He approached the issue with grace and and truth, like he did with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. He hit her with the truth. He acknowledged the fact that she was promiscuous, that she was not living uh, a, a righteous life. She was living in sin, uh, bouncing from one relationship to the next. That you know, She was living with a man who wasn't her husband. The reason why she went to the well alone was because she was a pariah. She was she had been cast out of society. For for all intents and purposes, she was essentially a a, uh, a prostitute. No one wanted to be around her. The fact that he was a man, a Jewish man, speaking with a Samaritan woman who was known as a prostitute, was a big taboo in those times. But he also hit her with grace he challenged her to leave her life of sin. And she did, as far as we know. But there was at least one time where he took sin so personally it drove him to anger and violence. Case in point, when Jesus entered the temple in Jerusalem, he made a whip and he drives out the money changers from the temple courts. He chased them out. He violently, aggressively chased them out with a whip. Because they had defiled the temple. They had damaged its purpose with their sin. The sin wasn't changing money and and selling doves and stuff like that. The sin was that the temple was supposed to be kept holy. It was supposed to be set apart. There was was supposed to be something sacred about it. And the people of the time, including the Pharisees, had turned it into a marketplace. Where you could buy and sell uh, restoration from God. Very similar to the uh, plenary indulgences. Uh, if, for those of you who are familiar with uh, Catholicism. Many pastors won't touch on the topic of sin. They're, they're afraid and they're worried that it will drive congregants away from the church, especially young congregants. They forget that like many of the people following Christ, that doing so is never going to be a popular decision. A pastor's job is to shepherd people. To teach them what is right and correct wrong behavior. And that includes holding someone accountable to sin, whether privately or you know, privately in conversation and mentorship or via a sermon. Case in point from my own life. Uh, at its, there was a time where we were looking for a new youth pastor at First Baptist. I had been working in youth ministry uh, for quite some time and i really thought that i would do a good job in that role so i started to put in my application and prior to me doing so i had a, a situation with my then girlfriend uh we had we had been living in sin uh getting physically intimate and she ended up uh getting pregnant, and eventually having a miscarriage. And it was heartbreaking for both of us. And I told one of my mentors uh, at at First Baptist, because I needed to share it with somebody, when the when one of the pastors at the church asked if there was any reason why i should not be considered for the job he went to he went to my mentor because this mentor knew me and that was the thing that kept me from getting the job and i while i was upset i understood that i needed to be held accountable if i hadn't been as mature in my in my faith as i ha- as i was at that time i really would have taken it personally and now even even now 10 years later looking back at it they did the right thing for me because it wasn't I wasn't ready for it I wasn't I wasn't the right person for the job and they eventually found the right person for the job they were holding me accountable in private conversation and mentorship See, the pastor who doesn't preach on sin is like FBI director uh, Comey and his epic failure over uh, over the past few years uh, and this is going back to two thousand you know fifteen. Uh, you know, Hillary Clinton got extensively investigated by the FBI, and when the facts were all sifted through. The FBI should have been right on the heels of, a, of an indictment. But, the, but Director Comey, before he resigned or was fired or whatever, while he acknowledged the charges, he refused to indict Clinton. On everything that happened with regards to the, the uh, email server and some of the stuff that happened with Benghazi. Now, this isn't meant to be a political jibe. I'm, I'm simply using it as a word picture for this for this episode. Hillary Clinton was extensively investigated. She was facing nearly 100 counts of criminal wrongdoing, and the law enforcement of the FBI should should have done something about it. But they didn't. And I could easily go on a political rant here and reference what's already become Uh, infuriating public knowledge but I'm not going to do that what I will do is simply state that we have a woman who's been caught violating and missing the mark of the highest standards of our nation as a public figure and the person who should be holding her accountable is refusing to do so that is like the pastor who doesn't preach about sin so the question we have to ask ourselves now is what is sin? so the the word for sin the word for sin uh, comes from a Hebrew root word i'm I'm pulling up that uh, that definite or that word right now. Is kata. It's a Hebrew word. Kata. Uh, it would, in English, it's spelled K H A T A. The word that word means to miss the mark of God's holy standard. It's it's missing the bar. All right. See, God established His holy standard and and set the boundaries for the relationship that He has that He has wanted to have with human beings since the time of Adam and Eve. Sin comes about when we try to cross the boundary line and define right and wrong, good and evil for ourselves. That's what that's exactly what Adam and Eve did when they ate the fruit. Sure they were prompted by the serpent, but it all boils down to choice. Obey God and trust that the boundaries are in place for a reason or disobey and define the boundary for yourself even though your understanding is severely limited. Everyone is a sinner. Essentially it's it's a gene it's a genetic marker that's part of our human condition going back eons. It sucks. Believe me, I know. But there's a way to overcome it. See in Romans 3, Paul follows up this section that we're looking at. He's he he's following up this whole section on sin by describing how Christ took our punishment in a once for all sacrifice. We talked about this in uh John 3.16, a couple episodes ago. A once-for-all sacrifice. The section and the opening of the chapter, uh, which discusses God's faithfulness to His people, even when we sin, bookends the section on sin. It's this really beautiful flow of thought that Paul puts in place. God is faithful even when we aren't. Sin is real, and everyone has it, and it's super destructive to us. But Christ, who is God incarnate, took the punishment meant for us so we don't have to. So that we can choose the life that he restores to us through faith in his name. Like I said, this ties back to John 3.16, but it also ties back to the last episode of Acts 3.16. And the life and restoration that comes from believing in Christ. I'll admit that I struggle with this. I struggle with sin. Various ways it has changed, it has morphed, it has adapted over the years To because, if anything, the devil wants to get a foothold in my life as much as possible. Many of you who might be listening, uh, you're probably struggling with this topic yourselves. please know that I'm praying for you. And I ask that you pray for me as well. I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. I don't attend worship services at church to be perfect. And being a Christian doesn't make me perfect or sinless. It simply means that through Christ and his loving once-for-all sacrifice, I am viewed as blameless in God's eyes that doesn't mean I don't have the potential for sinning still. In fact, I would encourage those of you who know me to continually hold me accountable just as I would you. No double standard. No double standard. So, with that being said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today because sin is very much a real part of our world. Sin separates us from you. It prevents us from drawing closer to you. And we're fed the great lie that because we've sinned, you want nothing to do with us. And that is just absolutely not true. Lord, open our eyes. Open our eyes and our hearts to understand that even when we sin, you still love us, that you still want to restore us, that you still want to bring us back to you. Help us understand and help us see that when we choose sin in our own way over yours, that it is destructive and not just to us, it has a a trickle-down effect to other people. Lord, for those who are listening to this episode, I just... I pray for your work in their lives, that your Holy Spirit will just convict them of what is going on in their lives, and that they will turn away from whatever sinful behavior it is that they're dealing with, and they will draw closer to you. Lord, we lift up this chaotic time, this time of uncertainty, Give us a bold spirit as we face it day to day. Thank you for all you give us. We pray all these things to you. Amen. Hey, if you are uh, in need of prayer or if you have questions or comments, by all means, please send me a uh, an audio message. If you're listening on the Anchor app or anchor.fm slash Quarantine Christian, by all means, there is a a uh, button there that says that uh, it says message you can send me an audio message with your questions your comments or your prayer requests i'd love to respond to those comments uh, i'd also love to pray for you so with that being said have a great day